healthcare. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the next one. Welcome back to the basement, fellow music lovers. You are now tuned into yet another exciting adventure with us here on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. Um, and the only thing I have to say, kicking this one off is fuck. Um, this has been a shit week, kids. This is, um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, first one I want to, want to touch on a little bit. Tom Petty's dead. And I, we're, we're going to be, uh, <laughs> we're talking about another legend today. We're talking about Michael McDonald, but, uh, we're going to be talking about Tom Petty here in the basement. If you listen to this on Thursday tonight. Uh, so you can hear that on Monday, talking about wildflowers, sharing uh, our thoughts with a decent little panel about the late, great Tom Petty. But uh, but look, this is a uh, you know we're all getting older, kids, and um, this is a uh, this is a gut shot. And uh, pardon the pun, bad use of words, but um, this is uh, he was the best. He was. Simply the best. Every uh, every hit <laughs> was the best hit ever. Uh, I you know I, I don't except for Wildflowers. I don't think he made uh, a truly great album. But every album had a song on it that was better than every other song at, at a minimum. Most of them had three or four. Um, he was a righteous dude, a, uh, a kind dude, a. Um, just he was just the best and he was you know we've lost important people in the rock and roll canon a lot lately uh i think really kicked off this new generation of loss with david bowie uh, and that hurt uh that hurt and then uh and prince dug in the uh, blade a little more but this one is um this is painful those two guys are from outer space and and tom petty was from Right down here, he was one of us, and and so uh, gonna be missed. Be missed. All the work is out there for you to celebrate, but uh, there's not gonna be any more. So, uh, and speaking of things that don't, that shouldn't be any more of, uh, you, you know, we've got a we, we've got a gun problem in America, and um, there is one solution: it's to ban the guns. You know, you know what happened in Vegas. Uh, a, a guy, and people will try to put labels on him. Uh, he's a terrorist. That's that's the correct label. I'm, I'm an objective truth type of guy because, like it or not, in this in this day and age of, of fake news, there are still objective truths, and and one of them is that guns need to be banned in the United States. All guns. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, but the other is this guy is a terrorist. If you kill one person. You're a terrorist, um, but if you kill fifty uh, and injure over five hundred, I mean, this is the most uh, horrific mass shooting event in the United States 
in history, and this doesn't get any better. And it's because you have a piece of shit in Congress who cannot break free of the NRA. Um, if you look at our site, it was sad to uh, sad to see uh, uh, somebody that we reviewed quite well and uh, and saw and actually talked to uh, recently. Sunny Sweeney was was siding with the NRA. At least there, she's up on their site. Uh, Sonny, if you're listening, uh, get rid of that. Uh, otherwise, fuck you. Uh, you are on the wrong side of everything. There is no reason. A-, a gun is made to kill people, period. If you like target shooting, you can get a BB gun. You can get a pellet gun. You can get all kinds of things. Things that shoot projectiles that aren't made to kill people. But the only thing a gun is made for is to kill somebody else. And unless... You're saying that you want to kill somebody, which is what you're saying when you get a gun. Uh, then you have no need for it. And if you're saying that you want to kill someone, then you should be in jail. You've all seen my minority report, pre-crime. That should be a thing. If you apply for a gun license, you immediately go to jail. Because it means you, at some point you want to kill someone. There's no other reason for that device. Um, this is a... Uh, this whole first part of the week was horrible. Both these events happened in one day, and uh, and look, the loss of life in Vegas far outweighs uh, the loss of Tom Petty. But it highlights a thing that, that uh, we've known for a while now, uh, and this is our president. I think is sort of the agent uh, provocateur of this. But the lights going out, and it's not uh, it's not hopeless. But, but it's going out. And for every Tom Petty that we lose, we don't replace. For every 50 people we lose to somebody uh, who decided to wield a gun on them. For every one person we decide, we lose uh, not just a little bit of ourselves. We lose everything of ourselves. And uh, it's time to end it. Uh, so get out. Get out in the streets and uh, go to Congress. Go to the NRA. If they won't listen, burn it down. We, we'll just start over. This is horseshit that we cannot make a decision as a people that we just aren't going to kill each other. And I, I say that as somebody who believes that our base mode is that we want to kill each other, uh, but it's, you know, it can't go on anymore. And uh, and that's my little rant for Michael McDonald. If you want to do something, um, you can go. A good place to start is uh, first of all go to the Red Cross, donate blood. Uh, I think they're still in need, especially if you're in Nevada and Vegas. Uh, also, uh, you can go to a site called uh, Every Town for gun safety. Everytown.org. Uh, they uh, are a group, an organization that is fighting to reject the NRA. There's their main thing, but get these guns. Uh, illegal, off the street, banned everywhere, and uh, and last thing on that. But if you know, if you're in the media, stop this fucking disaster porn. Uh, if it takes you as a person hearing somebody crying over their sister who just got killed on NPR, they have empathy for someone getting killed. You may be a monster. So consider that. Outlets stop. Printing it, TV stopped doing it. The only thing we should be seeing on our TV is people lining up outside of Congress right now and knocking down the doors and saying, you will pass legislation 
or we will take you out. We will remove you. And we'll start again. And uh, so uh, that's that's it. And it's probably the most political we're going to get on this podcast, but uh, I need to, to get that out there. Um, and uh, so now it is. So uh, so this week uh, we're going to be talking to this podcast friend Casey Ray, Mark Stallion. We're going to be talking about Michael McDonald, his new album Wide Open. Um, before that, uh, as we head on down to the basement, want to have a little little moment, not a moment of silence, a little uh, moment of song for the departed Mr. Petty. So. Uh, enjoy this track. This is uh, this is my favorite track by him, and we'll be talking more about him on Monday. And for now, let's head on down to the basement where we're going to be talking about Mike McDonald, and I will play you a North Country track on the back end. You belong among the wildflowers. You belong in a boat out at sea. Say. Kill off the hours You belong somewhere You feel free Run away Find you a lover Go away Somewhere all bright and new I have seen McDonald competitions on the internet a thing. Oh, that would be the best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm really glad I didn't take a sip of my beer just now. <laughs> I was still like, uh yeah. I'd like to MC those. <laughs> As Michael McDonald. Yeah. So would you be then eligible for the Michael McDonald competition? No, and that's a tragedy. I mean, so why would you MC them? Because I have a heart for community. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's altruistic and decent of you it is and, and you know it's because as a follower of Michael McDonald <clears throat> wow mm. go on <laughs> wow the pamphlets I have a stack I left them upstairs oh yeah good. that's good have you heard the good news is this like the Moonies uh, it's a lot like the Moonies except um, smoother I like it so much smoother I like it um that voice you're hearing is the uh, future judge of, so you want to be Michael McDonald, <laughs> uh, coming to you soon on Fox, Ocho, uh, Mr. Casey Ray, welcome back to the basement. <laughs> man, uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's fixed now, man. It's we're, we're, we're repaired, 
We're destroyed. I'm glad you got to come back again. I'm glad that I'm here for a very special episode of for Michael f- McDonald to commemorate, yeah. you know, the return to full functionality. Yes, it's, yes. Very, it's very nice. Yes, uh, the other voice you're hearing is Mr. Marcus K. Dowling. How you doing, brother? Hi, uh, brother. I'm fantastic. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready for this. My body is ready. You know, we're uh, we're in a, a sort of a slow season. This is actually the last of our pickup episodes. We had a lot of stuff going on in August and, and in July. We were like, we're going to do this just fucking because. And yeah. w- Seriously, anybody looking at Mike and McDonald and reviewing this seriously? Uh, and we're very serious. And we're very serious. The no, we, serious. we are, but but I mean there were there were like this is <laughs> Michael McDonald occupies his own place in the multiverse. Um, oh, he really does. He really does. Uh this guy He is his own multiverse, really. He is his own multiverse. I think that's he right. He contains multitudes. Exactly. <laughs> Infinite Duggies. He is Legion. Infinite Duggies, that's all I gotta say. Um, this guy uh, came to prominence in the early, early 70s, uh, basically Steely Dan, right? Right. One of, one of our favorite bands, which we, yes, get to, yes. we now get to talk about Steely Dan, rest in peace, Walter, Walter Becker. Yes. Um, and he, The backdoor Steely Dan, if you know what I mean. Steely, yeah. Yokohama. <laughs> wow. Three. <laughs> um, and he, he, so I listened to three full playlists today of Yacht Rock and Apple Music guys. Oh man, ninety nine percent. You okay? Yeah, not. I'm fine. I'm really good. Ninety nine percent of those songs had Michael McDonald on it. What What I learned in researching this is that the music sphere was lousy with Michael McDonald. He would play with anybody and everybody, and everybody wanted him. He was he, vocally promiscuous. Yes, he was vocally promiscuous. But he was, I think, one of the original Mr. White Souls. So, you know, Daryl Hall hadn't quite reached oh. prominence. He was getting a lot of. He was blindingly white soul. Yeah. Yes. Um, but his voice is undeniable. You hear it Butter. in you hear Butter. it in the Steely Dan songs. Most of you know it from the <laughs> Doobie. <laughs> I was gonna get air horns down here. <laughs> we talk about Asia soon. Yes, yes, yeah. we are. Have to dying. Yeah, have we, to. we are absolutely going to. Uh, so, so most of you heard from Doobie Brothers talking in the streets. Little darling, I need you. Keeps you running. Uh, keeps you running. Yeah, and and. Uh, Possibly the smoothest. This is this song is the the core, the center of the black hole for for yacht rock. Uh, what a fool believes. Yes, right. Yeah, it's the pinnacle. It's there is nothing. I can't. It's every yacht. We were just listening to yacht rock upstairs. You listen to it, and you're or like it's the Bermuda Triangle of the, yacht. It's rock. the Bermuda Triangle. Every right? everything about that song is great. It's like it's funny by comparison to this record. There's something about like songs like What a Fool Believes is that there's, where they're like honest. Mm-hmm. And like pure in that era, and like wholly of that era. When you listen to this album, like you're listening for that moment where you're like, "Wait, can you synergize the Zeitgeist in like this like Ersatz yes, White I can. Soul kind of song?" Friend Zone. I just synergized the Zeitgeist. Boom! It's all right. done, sir. Ah. But yeah, but I mean, there's like a thing where you need that, and then like that thing that happened in like the '70s happened in this era. What yeah. thing? I wanted that, like this thing where he like. Like, happened in the seventies. What thing happened? Where like his voice and like those songs, like something like like what a fool. Those songs became pregnant with his voice. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So like you you have like this feeling of that era that's like perfectly the synergized baby in there. Oh, I can't claim that I arrived because of MM. I was uh, I I came out uh-huh. of uh, you know like sort of Watkins Glen Almond Brothers okay. kind of situations. <laughs> Fair. Well, I mean, we didn't. I didn't dig too deeply, but it can be sure he. Sang with them. Come on. I mean, the dude was everywhere. Uh, yeah. 
any rate, if you understand the number of songs he's played on, it is baffling to me to find out that he's only put out nine solo albums. In this long-ass career, there's only nine solo albums, and his first one didn't come out until 82. I know, we've been positively assaulted with his, like, you know, sonorous, velvety, yeah. chocolate voice. Yes. Um, his last yet, album was in 2008. He won a Grammy in 2003 and 2004 for Motown. Right. I believe, I believe he did win the Grammy. Yes. So he's been kind of absent. And then uh, late... <laughs> present in our hearts, I would say. Always. 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 Uh, but late last year, uh, or early this year, a uh, little man called Thundercat yep. went digging. Yeah. And and uh, and his album, Drunk, and he pulled in him and Kenny Loggins, Kenny Loggins. which I, I can't wait till he puts out a new album. And all of a sudden, he's back in, he's back in the spotlight, and kids who have never heard of him. But but look, you have heard What a Fool Believes. Everybody is... there's. There's no chance you haven't heard this man's well, I mean, voice. For, for, for the kids, they've heard I Keep Forgetting, which is, you know, the song that he has a solo mm-hmm. hit with. And, oh, wait, you mean, I keep forgetting. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> the funny part with that is that that's, you know, a sample from Regulators, for Regulate by uh, Warren G. Right, and right. Nate Dogg played the role right, of Michael McDonald. Right. And literally Nate Dogg's entire career for, for kids who are, like, under the age of 30, like, if you look at, like, Nate Dogg, his entire career was basically him like doing a really great impersonation of Michael McDonald. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For tons of like West Coast funk influenced like hip hop tracks. The shit just feels right. Right. And so that's kind of like the cool thing to see it go all the way back around and for like a West Coast artist like mm-hmm. Thundercat to have that influence and watch that whole thing go full circle. Yeah, yeah. It was like a really cool thing. Yes. I am going to find me that white man with the buttery voice. <laughs> yes. Exactly. That's what it is. So so it was really? missing it was missing from our world for the first time I think in like 30 or 40 years yeah, because uh because uh, because uh, Nate just passed. Yeah. So, yeah. So but luckily earlier this year press releases went out and said McDonald's back. That Thundercat con- uh you know collaboration I thought was like really zesty and, and one of the weird things about the actual new michael mcdonald solo record was that it doesn't capitalize on on any of that and and we've had like what the last five years kind of redefined by you know millennial post r&b right mm-hmm. yeah and where it gets really sort of gloopy and weird and purple and sexy and fucking smashed and chopped screwed and spat yep and you know what if michael mcdonald was like kind of getting guided through the, those chunky waters. That would be not, really cool. Yeah. And that's not uh, the album. Not, not that's at not all. The <laughs> not at all. And, and, and so, so to, to, to that point, I want to play, this is the first single. This is announced his comeback as Michael McDonald, Duck Hunter extraordinaire. Uh, this okay. is Find It In Your Heart. When does our move from here to one? You may lose the luxury To have your fun and play Take your pleasure and still be free
Uh, Finally in your heart, first single of Michael McDonald's Wide Open. In all seriousness, guys, this guy is a legend. I mean, we were joking around, but right. the, the, the ubiquity of this man is insane. Like how we, we've talked about a few legacy artists this year, and I want to talk about this in comparison to one great one who sadly recently passed. Glenn Campbell, right. his album Audios. <clears throat> we all grew up with these albums. You know, it's the old guy. It's the guy who was big back here, and then like in the eighties, early nineties, put out an album and it's a return. Some of them are still kicking around mm-hmm. when they're doing the Christmas albums. Right. So when at least me, when those albums would come out, I would look at it with a with a Nelson eye, like a ha ha. But I'm forty five now, and I look at this guy, and I'm just like, fuck. Like, you were that good then, and you basically, this is, it doesn't miss a beat from what he was doing. And I think largely in part, like, if he didn't hire the exact same band, it's just essentially Steely Dan's universal rotation. Like, he hired people who learned under them. I mean, right. b- because I'm not going to say <laughs> the album yet, but... It is one of the more competent albums in a style that we just don't hear anymore. There's, there's very few cats left who are going to be able to settle into like the grooves that these guys get into on yeah. this record, and they're really, really classic, uh, you know, deep R and B informed grooves. You know that that sort of came out the other side of the you know high gloss sheen 1980s. And the interesting thing is to hear that voiced in 2017. Because, you know, it's unexpected. You're right. It's a forgotten style. It's a it's a dead branch on the on the tree of soul and, and, and funk and R and B. But it also sort of like encapsulates a lot of stuff that was great about uh the era when people really could play and when they could really capture the sounds of those instruments in a in a uh, pristine way. I would argue that this is a little bit too pristine, though. It's a, it's almost like well, yeah, there's that, not a hair out of place. But, but I think yeah. that was always uh, that was always the downfall of any of these albums. It's like, and honestly, the downfall of Latter Day Steely Dan. Like, sure, by the time you get two against nature, get to Gaucho, it's, yeah. it, it, well, it's yeah, oh, you, you're going okay. Gaucho. I mean, Gaucho has like classic songs on it, mm-hmm. but I think it sort of represented like the flat line of Steely Dan as an right. interesting band. Right. There's a thing because we're 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 doing a lot of soul music this year, and soul soul's a a reascendant genre, where like this style is so refreshing in a way. It's it's refreshing and also like bizarre in in in, in equal measure. It's refreshing in the sense that like for for me being 39, like I'm like oh wow, this album literally feels like 1983. Like it feels like the second like his second solo record, and we're 35. 40 years, you know, of, diff- of of space of time. And it's like, wow, that's really refreshing. But at the same time, it feels like ear stale because we've done so much more Since now. Mm-hmm. And, and none then. of it is represented. Right. It is not there. You're just like, it, it, you just have this, this moment where you're completely disconnected. You know, to take it back to our favorite dead guy, David Bowie, mm. right. you know, that's the exact opposite of hearing something like Black Star, where right. not only does it have the, you know, it's an, it's revisiting an old tradition, which is like, you know, people who are technically jazz musicians backing up a, a great sty- vocal stylist, but it is completely informed by every weird fucking avant-garde trend right. that's happened in right. the last 30 years, like, <laughs> including some that he invented. When, yeah. I, when yeah. I went through the, the liner notes on this, I saw like Marcus Miller played on this album which is crazy to me because i'm like marcus miller is a, one of the great jazz like you know like artists of all time and but he's not relevant 
in this modern era of jazz? Because what's intriguing, and we we talk about like the guys who played on Kendrick's record, you know, for yeah. the last like two years now. What's funny about those guys is that while they know that stuff, it's not present in how they play. Like their playing style is more influenced by this kind of like post hip hop, like. Oh, yeah. We were going to take, right. like, you know, beats and breaks and take, like, you know, yeah. the influence of, like, well, the, roots, the, the, the genre. Roots helped that happen. Right, yeah. yeah. And, but, and, and it's, it's weird because you think of jazz in that sense, not this very straight up and down, like, you know, kind of like, like, you know, kind of like shark skin suit, 1984, like, straight ahead, like, Dennis Office yeah. jazz. Yeah, yeah, Dennis Office jazz. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's. It's not Kamasi Washington or Vijay Iyer or any. No, no, no. New, no it's, new it's certainly not. But they certainly like Barf. I mean, look, he ended up on Thundercats album. So, but right. but the thing that is, we've the past few episodes we've talked about um, soul music, right? Yes, and it being related to culture, right? And then you have these outliers like Michael McDonald uh, and like Daryl Hall, I think. Right. Oh, absolutely. Uh, some uh, uh, Daryl Hall is an interesting cat. Yeah, I can talk it, about him all day. Well, we're, we're getting to that at the end of the month. So, woohoo! I'll be back. <laughs> it, it, imagine a site based on Hollow Notes that has never talked about Hollow Notes. Can we talk about? Yeah. All right. I'll save some for the field. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but but I guess what's what's interesting to me is that like. Listening to this, it is uh, he he is his own multiverse, and we forgot one by the way. What ride like the wind? Yeah, uh, by Christopher Cross. Yeah, well, we're mm-hmm. getting the Christopher Cross. Oh, we're getting we the are. Cross. Yes. you've got this like this is orchestrated. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is like a pocket yeah, symphony. No. Yeah, so so you know where those <laughs> somebody draws from one tradition, or, right? Or uh, but the what Ben Harper draws yeah. from another position. It is impossible for me to place where Michael McDonald is getting this from. And that, to me, like it breaks it's, all our theories down about any of this working, right? It, it's the fact that he is the tradition. Like, we're so far removed from it that the stuff that existed before Michael McDonald yeah. is not kind of like, it's, it's permanent and timeless. Mm-hmm. But it's not relevant to the conversation. Like, when... When when Kamasi did his work with Michael McDonald and Kenny Loggins, mm-hmm. it placed them now as like the beginning of that thing. They are the wise and old heads in the room that are at the start of that cultural space now for this generation. Right. Which right. is intriguing in the sense that like what he does is so vastly different. I think musically overall, like cause as compared mm-hmm. to where, where things are right now. And that speaks to one of the things that I think makes this album weird. Like, I was looking at Pitchfork because I do that before we do these things, and they gave it a 5.8, which to me I <laughs> get because it's like, okay. So, like, it's nothing that they're into in right, the world of yeah, like yeah, R&B. Yeah. yeah, it's like, okay. This is no Thundercats. Right, exactly. <laughs> but the thing is, is that, like, for Michael McDonald, working with Thundercat was an outlier right, right. in his mind of where. Jazz and soul and R and B. Again, I, I hope he's still got some gas left in the tank, and this represents a sort of revitalization of the Michael McDonald solo brand. Right, should that? Yeah, I would yeah. like to see another crack at the bat, and then maybe that could include like, like, like set him up mm. with some really big cats, like The Weekend. Set him and up. Solange with, like, loves him. 
Yeah, exactly. She's like, I, I, there's a, there's but an. Is it ironic love? We and that's know. that's the other thing. Is it ironic love or is it true love for a guy who's just dude, he's <laughs> Frank a, Ocean and Michael McDonald? Now that could get <laughs> yes, pretty. Yes, but okay. there is no Frank Ocean without Michael McDonald. Oh, but here's what's here's what's weird is I think that you're dealing with these kids, quote unquote, by comparison to Michael McDonald, as uh, artists who are growing in their work. And where something starts off, yeah, very, no, you're like, right. I mean, listen, if somebody like when you're young and you're ready to just, you're a hard charger and you got to figure this shit out, find out what your destiny is. I mean, it's kind of it, it. It just reads wrong when somebody shoves a you know blathering, blithering old man at you and right. tells you to do a song like that's like a Brian Wilson Beach Boys kind of situation where. Mm-hmm. You know, where it kind of just feels like, ah, okay, granddad, uh, <laughs> right. you know, but, but here though, I think there's enough of a respect about what to, you know, yeah. for Michael McDonald's body of work. Right. But it I think what like it is that. is that yeah. as, yeah. as these, particularly as, like in the hip hop scene, I mean, like by, yeah. by virtue of extension, Steely Dan, you know, like I, mm-hmm. every like hip hop producer I've ever talked to in my life has a like deep and abiding love for right. Steely Dan. And, 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 this, but, yeah. and this is why though, not to interrupt yeah, you, no but problem, this yeah. is cause we're, we're going to get on a little Steely oh, Dan cool, cool. tangent here. This is why though, because the secret to Steely Dan is that they d- defied and destroyed every single genre mm-hmm. that they came in contact with. This was like, this was uh, to use a recent metaphor, like just a hurricane of musical like perfection. And they did it because they just didn't give a fuck. They just, they wanted to get what they knew was the history of music out in this other thing. They infected pop music with jazz. Yeah. So people, so tweakers who are all like into Kid Charlemagne, you're like, (laughs) talking about me, right? Who would never listen to a jazz record, all of a sudden have the whole history of jazz and by proxy fits their and by proxy when it came out the whole history of like you know black culture like dumped on them because Mm -hmm. that music wasn't it it wasn't available they were real subversive undercover cats i mean let's face it they did take their name from naked lunch by william s burroughs which you know will give you a hint as to what their sort of overall Mm -hmm. bent is uh, but you know and there's there's an archness to steely dan that i actually don't think is present in michael mcdonald's music like that no, he, that he would make himself although the commonality between them is a lot of like memphis soul and and you know a lot of you know just the stuff that they listened to when they were kids everything from the girl groups to the great you know soul and r&b acts of the 60s and again another trope of old man albums like you, you're revisiting your your past and stuff i mean if you if you're listen- revisiting their their borrowed past, which is even freakier, right? Yeah, yeah. right. It's like, it, yeah, it's super freaky. Because I mean, if you look at this, like these these can be blues titles, like Half Truth, Ain't No Good, Honest Emotion, you know, Blessing in Disguise, Dark Side. The track I want to get to though is like, uh, and it's the last track on the album, Fittingly, and it's uh, one of the longest tracks on the album, uh, and uh, it's where they sort of cut loose and, and jam a little bit. I want to talk about that, uh, or I want to play that, and then when I come back, I want to talk a little bit about. Why this also is a uh, 80s Clapton album because I know Casey, you love 80s
Partial to those type of yacht rocky, uh, weird jazz, not pure jazz, but like right. big big orchestra jazz stuff. But it fucking jams, and like nobody's making that except right all the people we're talking Thundercats about Thundercats and Kamasi, right, and Miles and yeah. Cameron and the West Coast Get Down. I mean, yeah, it's the closest thing. I think that's the one song that's the closest thing to something that people would recognize as kind of like this alt soul thing that's happening right now. Um, I was going to say that like earlier, um, and it's, re- it's reference to what you were just saying as well. Um, as all of the, the modern artists who are kind of like in this soul revival develop as players and develop another gear as players, like there's a free jazz thing that allowed everybody to kind of come into the room. Yeah. Now there's very much a very straight jazz thing that has to happen in order for that stuff to go mainstream. And in that sense, like, the soul line that re- weaves through all of that crosses Michael McDonald because it has to. Because, like we said, he's you know, he's literally the multiverse. Um, and what's intriguing is that you take a guy like Michael McDonald who starts off very kitschy because of the voice and all the songs that we referenced, and then you take it and you just follow his career and you listen to his artistry and you understand his artistry because you, as an artist, have under you now understand. Right. yourself better as an artist right you're like oh my god this guy is not just kitschy he's actually great and then it can't be that important his new record doesn't have a wikipedia page 
I love it. But yeah, so that's my thinking is that I would love to see what happens now. Give it like another year, maybe 18 months, and then do a Michael McDonald with all of those people that we have we have mentioned. Because I think right. that would well, be intriguing. Plug into it. So it's a thing that like Americans don't do. Like they don't appreciate or or celebrate the older music. And right. so when you see it happening and stuff. Um, God, I was going to say, it's another thing that reminds me of, okay, so Joan Osborne. Uh-huh. Uh, she did when she did uh, when they did uh, "Standing in Shadows" Motown. She's one of the featured vocalists. Yeah, and uh, it was like for people that just knew her as the person who did "One of Us." Mm-hmm. You know, what if God what if, was though? one of us? What if? Have you ever thought about that? Like, I, really? What if though? If he was, I mean, he'd be but a stranger. Really though, what if he'd be a stranger on no, the bus? But really, Marcus just trying to make his way really. home. But uh, <laughs> she she also did. Uh, she went out but, with the dead. And, and I was she amazing. She was and like, it, this, was, she it, was like, she was not Donna as Jean. awful as Donna. Right. But it what was I amazing. was going to say is that she did an album after doing that beautiful right. work with the Funk Brothers that minimally referenced the fact that she had done this beautiful, very organic, soulful work, and it kind of like she went from that into like this kind of like very milk toasty. Very similar to what Michael McDonald's done here. So is that is that Michael McDonald's fault? Is that what we're saying? Because like no, I'm, look, I'm look, saying this, that what this it genre is. exists, and one of my favorite artists of all times, uh, all time, <laughs> Eric Clapton, has thrived off this. I know you and I disagree, Mister Ray, but but look, I grew up on '80s Clapton, and I'm not talking even the cocaine Clapton behind the sun in August, son. So like. Th- That's when she said she was. Yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> He's here all night. It's- um, but 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 the point is, is like that is an old dude at that point, even like a sort of doing his version Didn't of the stuff. He called his last album like "Old Sock" or something. <laughs> he did, I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he's done a lot. You know, he's done a lot of great work, and he, and he is a remarkable like musician. Didn't his background singer end up in that band Shakespeare's Sister with that goth chick? Wow, you know more than I do. I wow. sure do, and don't ever forget it. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm fucking like spinning Clapton trini- trivia back at you, yes, like yeah. a dark fucking Clapton Jedi <laughs> over here. Um, but so, so, but he came. Out, but the point is, he came out of the same mold uh, uh, as him, uh, and and really, this this whole weird genre of safe, kitschy jazz that isn't Muzak. But yeah, but the thing is, I feel like there's something to the idea of when you play with the people that you create with, that you get one style of sound. When you play with this kind of like all-star mishmash of like great musicians and you get together for X amount of time and you've written the song, yeah, you just haven't arranged it and you sit down with like this all-star mishmash and you just kind of do some stuff and it's like, all right, we're going to try to arrange something around these words. Because he had all these songs written. He'd been sitting on these because he was trying to get a job writing songs in Nashville. Yeah. Which is one of like the intriguing things of thinking about Michael McDonald being in Nashville because everybody's in Nashville. I try to like, you know, stress this every time I'm on one of these podcasts. That's, that's Nashville is pretty close to all that's left of the music industry right, at I was gonna scale. Say. Right, exactly. So it's intriguing in the sense that like, he had these songs written and, you know, to, to like... To try to arrange stuff around this and you don't have like this cohesive unit that you're used to working with mm-hmm. that understands the tones and understands the notes you're trying to hit. And it's it's a weird thing. It's like where you're trying to talk to like a great drummer. Yeah. And you're like, and the, the drummer's not like terrible where like you're telling him X and he's going to do Y. 
but it's like you can't quite tell them like exactly what note to hit and like exactly right. what yeah, pitch yeah, yeah, to yeah, find. Yeah, yeah. And so it's all just like a half a hair off. Yeah. And then also add into the fact that he's trying to like extend this vocal now because like he's at that weird Smokey Robinson point where it's like I've yeah, still I've, I've still <laughs> got my voice because it's my, my, my signature, but it's not I would as actually say as it used to be. I would disagree with that. I think his voice is recognizable. I think I don't think he still has his voice. I think on a lot of this record, and this is one of the charms for me and, and why it works a little bit, is because I think his voice is kind of done. Yeah, it's weird, right? You know, the soul is still there, but, like, the, the depth is gone. He, and, he, he extends the notes yeah, to work around it. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of, in, in case you know about, like, recording techniques and stuff, there's a lot laid on top of this to make it sound a little... Like, but you you want a voice like I that? Think to he's, I, you know, I think he's probably still got some pretty decent strength, and he's mm. always had excellent pitch. Uh, you know, the timbre of your voice changes. Uh, you know, for no sure. matter what you do, and it's a really surprising thing for singers, and and a frustrating thing. You know, there's very few singers are able to sort of parlay that into something that makes a lot of sense for for them from an aesthetic and a right and a, and a creative perspective. You know, particularly if they're if if the characteristics of their voice were so signature previously which is the case with michael mcdonald i've always thought like hey this guy has the deepest falsetto of all time meaning that his falsetto range had a sort of depth of timber that like is not normally represented in the higher registers particularly in a male voice and it was it's that richness and that that characteristic that goes all the way up to the you know tippity toppermost of the of the uh, vocal range human vocal range that was exciting about him in especially in an R and B context mm-hmm. where you don't hear a lot of white guys, you know, doing you know, daring do. Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And, and when people heard him back in the day, they were like they found out he's white and they're like, What? What okay. the fuck is going on he's here? He's on that list of people that my mom thought was white yeah. for the longest time. Yeah, no, for 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 damn sure. But so to the point of like late in life, you know, and, and it's not late in life because we don't he's fine. Yeah. I mean, look at, he is virile. He is killing Lucky ducks. Robinson's still alive too. So yeah, 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 yeah. But but we've had a few like Johnny Cash. I think is the benchmark here. And but recently for, we had for those revitalizations, revitalization, but also like just continuing to keep on working past like maybe a commercial viability or whatever. But my point, is, what I'm trying to get to is earlier this year we had Glenn Campbell did an album Adios. Now, this is another guy that Glenn Campbell's voice is butter. His guitar playing is better than butter. It's amazing. But what you saw in Glenn Campbell's case and certainly in Johnny Cash's case is a producer understanding that the voice isn't all there. But like the it, and, and so how how does this age? What do you do with that? How, what do you gonna... do with that? And to some extent that happened with Bob Dylan. Now, I don't know what the fuck's going on with Dylan now, but certainly when Time for, Out of Mind... For a minute, Time Out of Mind, yeah. You know, there was time a, out of Mind, yeah. That, that creaky, creepy uh, characteristic that crept into Dylan's voice where it became cobwebbed in a cool way, yeah. and you yeah. knew that he was ancient and, and right. somewhat severe. And had like three, a run of three albums that like yeah. completely like, celebrated that. Yeah, but I feel like Rick Rubin... There's a difference here. Like Rick Rubin, when he got with Johnny Cash, realized that like the power of like his new instrument as like this kind of like weathered vocal and he specifically chose songs like hurt which like yeah really like were able to like showcase on like a metaphorical level and on like just an actual just vocal performance level yeah. that he was in a different place I mean, that's an interesting co- collaboration because it was 
I think it really was a collaboration. It's easy to be cynical about Rick Rubin's role there. I think Rick Rubin was doing, was playing Johnny Cash in the way that he wanted Johnny. So there is a lot of manipulation there. Certainly Johnny wouldn't have come to those conclusions about, you know, what repertoire to to tackle without Rick. But I think that Johnny did get to understand how Rick chose the songs and why they were, they were meant to make sense for him. And 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 that's a beautiful thing. And there's a thing I think with like somebody like Michael McDonald where like he controlled his own work here because these are his own songs that he wrote. And mm. I would love to be able to see this kind of thing revisited with like an actual like great like So he's the executor of his legacy in a way that say Brian Wilson yeah, right. bring him up again right. absolutely is well, not. Well let's look at that. Brian Wilson, like Whereas the last where- Brian Wilson interview that I read was astounding to me. Either they <laughs> changed his meds or he skipped a day or something because he was Swearing up a storm, yeah. and he was feisty as hell. Yeah. So, so to that point, like a lot of words. The person, the, one of the best comparisons, I think, is Brian Wilson at this point, because I think what Michael McDonald did on Wide Open is he went out and said, "I'm old," and I don't, I'm not going to pretend to like know any motivation for him, but, but it doesn't feel like cynical, like, like he's, this isn't the comb over record, right? This isn't like, yeah, yeah. guys. <laughs> You know, but but at the same time, like he's he, ready, out, he wants to work. He's ready. He, he wants, he to, wants work. to work. But he, al- he also made a, a album full of songs that are exactly what he would have made in the eighties. Except there's there's stuff on here that's cool. Like I don't know which one it is, but there's there's like there's folk on here. Like because he has this new but kind he, of like but he was doing all that. That's right, a, but I feel like but it's he's trying to figure out also with the new instrument. What he can do, maybe with that, it. that's that's an interesting thing. Let's talk about Robert Plant a little bit in comparison. Sure, because, Robert Plant, you know, another yeah. person, another who, great one. Great let example. me tell you though, like He's Robert, got an album coming out, and he does, and and I've and I've heard you know a handful of songs off of it, and it's I, it's again a great late re- period representation of you know his aesthetic, mm-hmm. and I think that's what he has left to parlay now. You know, like yeah, he, his voice can be a little bit honeysuckle even at his age, but. It's not what it was, and when he tries to, you know, do what it once was, it's not going to ever work nah, out nah, right nah, for him. Nah. And that, but that's been true for Robert Plant since 1973. I think, I think that's the, right. The, the damned secret about Led Zeppelin is like the studio albums are are part sleight of hand and part just excellent, masterful representation of what was there in their repertoire to realize on 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 tape under the guidance of the fucking wizard, mm-hmm. and that yeah. was just the way it was. And, you know, people bought that shit because it's fucking triumphantly awesome. But, you know, you go out and see, like, Robert Plant play a Led Zeppelin set any time, any show. I challenge you to find a post-73 show where his voice isn't blown on the first song or where he can hit notes. It's just not going to happen. And Michael McDonald was able to have a very rich and full career taking care of his instrument. So it's not a really good one-to-one comparison. But when we're talking about these cats as aged musical creators, Robert Plant has had much, much longer to come to terms with the fact that everything that everybody rep- remembers that guy for, he's not able to represent with his uh, uh, contemporary instrument. Right. This has been the case for 30 fucking years. Yeah. That has not been the case with Michael McDonald. And I think that, you know, Michael McDonald approaching, um, voicing these songs, making the choices that he makes, you know, who cares if he's diminished? He's a smart executor of the Michael McDonald sound, and this yeah. album really shows an awareness of but you know his did, inter, his musical interests and what he thinks he's able to pull off. Right, but but can he on like going forward like look at or maybe this is just a suggestion that like, he should do like look at 
Look at like Raising Sand. Look at like what Plant and Allison Krauss did. Uh, look at Adios. Right. Which is a motherfucker of an album. Amazing. Um, of a guy who is in later, later stage Alzheimer's. Like, look at that stuff and see how represent the the wisdom because what you don't get when you go back to the well of just this is the sound and this is the sound I know you don't get you don't get that felt wisdom at least I don't I get I get like oh sweet this is you know when you're old you might as well go back to what you like and if this is what Michael McDonald likes and what makes him feel good to sing like I, I would what, also yeah, okay. champion that yeah. because you know listen he he you know it's not about triumphing against the void we're all going there. You know, like there's artists who right. will will recognize that and try to channel that in one way or the other. And some of them will just sort of try to return to what makes them feel good as, you know, creators and, and live out the rest of their years. It doesn't always have to be as dramatic as <clears throat> as Glenn Campbell or yeah. David Bowie. Right. Or, you know, whatever. But I was thinking about a, a, a Jackson Brown album from... I can't remember the name of it. Uh, 2009, I think it came out, but it has a song. I believe it's called Time the Conqueror. The album might be called that. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But it was like the Jackson Brown Confronts His Mortality album. And it was 2009, so it's almost right, an right, entire right. decade ago, which <laughs> right. is hilarious. But Since then, he can be seen backstage at Newport Folks Festival asking where he can get good clams. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, you know, but, but people feel this. They understand that their yeah. time is finite. They understand that the market has moved on. What is your response? And I think Michael McDonald's response is honest to himself. Right. Okay. I guess that's my point. I feel like it's one of these things where I, I enjoy like classic artists being bemused by being like relevant again. And like you're sitting on like some songs and it's like, I just feel like he's like, oh, I got some songs and I'm really relevant again because this Thundercat guy. Because that shit happens. Yeah. yeah. Like this Thundercat guy just thinks <laughs> that I'm like the, the bee's knees. Something tells me that this yeah. was in in the works before that, though. Yeah, this but it's, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. But I feel like, but it's, but it's cool though. It is that like he was sitting on material. Like I love the idea of like catching an artist in the middle of like still creating and still making, even at this like advanced point of their career where they're still like trying to like make good songs. Like the same way where like there's a couple of songs with Nicole Campbell. Where it's I think like, you mm-hmm. just said something really important there. Make good songs. I think Michael McDonald is a craftsman. He's a true musician. His instrument is the is is the is his voice. Right. It's a little bit different than you know when we look at him and like why has he only had eight solo albums? I think there's your answer. I think he's more of a musician. Indeed. And when you um, see him as a supporting cast member in productions like Steely Dan, for example, yeah. when people ask me what my favorite movie is. I am from now on only going to say uh, that short documentary about the making of Asia mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by Steely Dan. <laughs> yeah, because it's amazing. You, you know, it dawned on me that that is one of my favorite little bits of celluloid that I've ever seen in my life. They unpack that album in such an interesting way. As an engineer, you get to nerd out on the on the sort of uh, behind the scenes stuff with the principals who actually know what they're fucking talking about. Right. You know. Uh, uh, Walter Becker, R.I.P., yeah. and Donald Fagan. But more importantly, you know, there's, like, really great treatment of the Michael McDonald contributions to that record. There's a section where they uh, mute all of the instrumental tracks on Peg, and, you know, I call it the wall of McDonald. <laughs> you know, like, you hear the... And yeah. then, you know, but then there's, like, 50 other vocals. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
and and but and and they but they cut to interviews with Michael McDonald where he, you can see the humility and just basically like sort of like genuine sort of workaday vibe of that guy. Yeah, he's not out there to make a grand statement necessarily. He wants to sing and he wants to represent the best that he can do within the setting that he's in. Yeah, that's what I call a musician. So when I think about the him, you know, arranging an album in 2017, I think. What's Michael McDonald going to do? He's going to call the sharpest musical cats in his Rolodex. He's yeah, going to yeah. get them in a real good room that represents well, their performance well. And he's going to sing on top of that shit. And that's why we're talking about it. And that's sort of what we're trying to do is contextualize this. And, and like, and even also victim down here in a world that's like drowning in like sort of indie like. Uh, apathy as far as like musical prowess. Yeah, we, you have a guy who puts out an album that is like as far as talent goes, like airtight. Not many of these people left. No, and that's no. that's exactly my next statement. There's not, there's almost none of these people left. And so, what are you going to be left with? I mean, this isn't about styles. This is about like he told everybody in that band, "Here's how it is." And they executed on it. That that doesn't happen, like at all, in in what we see on Pitchfork and what we see want, on like. I want people who are who are younger than us listen to this podcast. Ideally. You mean everybody, everybody, or, or right. nobody, everybody. Well, you, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean. But uh, but I want them to think about it like this. And I and I tried. To, I was talking to my mentees who are twenty one and twenty years old about this. I was like. Think about it like this. There's a regenerating pool of great musicians that are populating music again. Like for music that you listen to. Whereas music that I grew up on, there used to be like hundreds of these great musicians who played on all the songs. And if yeah. you listen to an album like this, it's like the last one or two of them. I got to tell you, I hear left. young kids that can play their asses off. The, the problem is like, the way that these uh, the great songs of past eras were voiced were on, you know, a, a set of instrumentation that's not well represented in contemporary right. music making. But that's not the first time that's happened. A friend of mine, Mike West, who's a jazz writer, you know, Mike. I'm right? Mike yeah, Rewell, so, yeah. Like Mike's a good friend of mine, and we talk all the time about jazz. You know, surprise, unsurprisingly, right? But you know, he showed me this basic cut from '71, and 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 you would think that big band was dead. Right. It is the most like bracing exciting uh you know composition and performance that i've heard in a long time you know and i was excited to like be exposed to it for the first time it was recorded in 71 well past the big band era right in 1971 first of all kids weren't listening to that jazz people weren't listening, we're listening to, to that, that. Yeah. even whatever the venn diagram overlap between the two was much larger than kids and jazz right <laughs> even in 1971 but yeah. neither set had exposure to this count basic cut. Right. And and sometimes I think that, you know, a, a lot of our, our our puzzlement about the kids, so to speak, is just because it's not that they're not minting really interesting musical minds. It's just that the vernacular, which is right. in some ways technology and, and access to, to music making tools, has changed. I, 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 heard, I heard a uh, Lord who, who makes pretty good music. Right. Um, Great songwriter. Yeah. And uh, and and this is, I think, the road we're going down is probably going to sacrifice the copyright conversations. That's cool, though. Yes. 
Um, Dodge but, that bullet. But but uh, <laughs> but but Lord uh, was on on uh, Marin talking to him about heard about that. I didn't listen to it. I was very it's pretty, intrigued. It's pretty good, and uh, and she's a she's uh, obviously an intelligent human and, and fascinating. And has great musical ideas. But then he asked her about like she literally doesn't play a single instrument, and she said, like, "Why would we? This generation grew up. And we don't have to." And there is some truth to that, but I think an album like this sort of. Not even sort of actually completely negates that in that because there's so much more depth. You know, we were talking about vinyl upstairs. There's there's so much more depth you can do. It, it this stuff should is supposed to be all about humans expressing and humans mm. connecting, and everything can't connect. If you don't like a song, it didn't connect with you. But you can have a really shittily written song. Frank Ocean sings it, and you're you're probably going to feel something. But you know, to put it very specifically, our friends uh, April and Vista, yes, um, which I think you were kind of hinting at. If and I don't know the answer to this, and and maybe I'll like get up with them and see if Matt is making a beat and April is doing this. April, who plays and trained on right. piano and violin, if you can do that. And then think about, okay, this is what we're doing is out of necessity, and they want to do it. But what if we had a 10-person orchestra? What if we had the Kronos Quartet? Right. What if we had this, these other tools that can do it? Can I then actually execute on that? Can I give them those charts? Can I make them and, and, exactly. and, and do something other than just like, can you just catch the vibe? And, this, and, and I think there's going to be a subset of creators that think that way, and there's going to be but, a subset that don't. My, my point, yeah, uh, no, there certainly is. But my point is, like, if the answer is no, you need to start working towards that. You right. don't have to use it, but you ha- you have to start working towards that because be- because music is math, and it's all put together. And and, and but the more skeps- steps you skipped. It's like anything in history. Shit just gets forgotten because it doesn't get looked at or used. Right. And if everything you're creating is on a MacBook, right, then you've forgotten a whole lot. Like there's a lot of I feel like in 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 the McDonald era you looked at like, you know, like he has people who are in the wrecking crew playing on this album. So it's the idea that you have like okay, the the wrecking crew, like this is a, an idea, like you know the Funk Brothers, it's an idea, like the, the high records rhythm section. This is an idea. This is a fully formed, flushed out. Think about yeah, the musical an idea. The, stack, you know? the stacks. David Hood and crew. Like, yeah, so you have that. Max Martin is an idea. But I mean, I feel like it's different though in the sense that like they work in a monolithic mindset, make, mm-hmm. using multiple instrumentation. That's where the money is. Right, but as compared to like, right, right, but it's it's efficient, but it's also inefficient for a lot of where music could head in the sense that like well, the problem is people are being deprived and they don't know they're being deprived. Yeah. Right. Like, this was the big sort of surprise about disintermediation, which for folks listening at home is just a fancy ass academic style phrase for what happens when you take formerly, you know, monolithic media and smash it into atomic bits where instead of one to many transmission of entertainment information, you right. have one to one all at once. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the thing. It's like I mean, I feel like okay, if you sit in front of a it board, it aggregates differently. The economics yeah. uh, are different because of the, that aggregation, and the talent uh, is shaped by the uh, survival instinct of feeding oneself, potentially one's family. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just intriguing to me in a sense that like this is one of those records that like and, and God, I looked I looked at that read that pitchfork review that like broke my heart because I'm reading this 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 writer and I don't know who this person is from from hole in the wall. But I'm like, they they just don't understand. I like, like to call them Steve if I don't know who okay, they are. So Steve, yeah, so Steve, Steve. So yeah. Steve, I'm like, okay, so you 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 come from this this era where like music exists in like a box, and there's like one person doing a like, thing. What's up, Steve? Right. Why like, are you thinking like that? Right. There's like one person or five people in a box making a sound. Uh, Michael McDonald. Well, the, the, the crazy this, thing is, those five people are all hired to sort of EQ the 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 kick drum, yeah. right? And they're going to get a songwriting credit, right? Which is crazy because we could totally segue into the mechanicals conversation, yeah. but we won't. Right. Okay, okay, but we're then, not, we're not. But then you That's have not like your gig anymore. I get it. Right. But then you have this thing now <laughs> where it's like, about where it. like you know, McDonald's sitting with these artists, like it's like these are people who come from this era where there's like ten people in a room and they all have like various different ideas on like what they could do. And then you like come together and you like create something that is the aggregation of what 10 people thought uniquely and it falls into place. Mm -hmm. But that's a little bit different. I mean, like, like what you're talking about can be in one way, like, Hey, wow. Miles Davis has got a hot motherfucking band this year or these years. And the other side of that is it took 10 people to shape this you know what I mean? Right. Right, but it's but I mean and they I, all get a songwriting credit. Right, but I feel like that's like that's like limiting and And then we flew in five top line vocal people to audition stuff and we, we, didn't pay them, we paid them for their time, but they're yeah. not getting a credit on right, it. We layered their vocal on top of each yeah. other and we don't No no no, no because Rihanna walked by while yes. that was happening. She gets a songwriting credit because she there walked by, kicked yes. her head in. When they choose the top line, then Rihanna sings it. She gets her songwriting credit. And right, then, that's how SZA ended up with consideration. Yeah, that's how the shit works. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I feel like we... That's a different 10 people. Yes. Sometimes 13, maybe 14 people. Yeah, so I mean, I feel maybe like... Maybe 15, 16. Yeah, I mean, I feel like... Up um, to 20 people. In my mind, I feel like this is like worth listening to. Who we can't name for the purposes of paying them. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, so I feel like this I is... I mean, a little research, we can name these motherfuckers. All of them. <laughs> But yeah, I feel like still like it's it's like not that I'm representing the voice of youth, but I feel like I, when I listened to this record, all I could think was like, God, this feels like it's a record out of 1983, and I don't know how this resonates with somebody who's, you know, a, a popular music fanatic in 2017. But I feel like if you listen to it, maybe, especially like with Free Man, if you like, if you kind of think if you played this for some, I let's take the Michael McDonald challenge. Okay. <laughs> You're like, let's, let's give Marcus some homework. Okay. He's going to take this Michael McDonald record and find some young kid. Let's set the age range. I'll do it. I'll do it. I okay. Let's say, you know, between 18 and 24. That's easy to do. I could do that tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. So some kid, <laughs> and they're going to say, they're going to listen to this. They're going to give it its day in court. You don't have to sit there with them and be like, Hey, what are you thinking of? Ain't no good. <laughs> hey, are you vibing on honest education? No, it's not like that. Give them some time, but they you need to trust whoever you assign right. this to. I will. To report back, I would be very curious to, to know I'm what they say. Because I feel like... Let's do this. Just give me a feature. I, I think I'm going to do this. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Marcus talks Marcus, to the youth. Marcus talks to the youth. That's not... Uh, I do this. That's like kids on the beat, kids on the yeah, street. Yeah, yeah. I beat do kids. This. We'll call it beat kids. I do this all the that, time, though. Such not a good name. <laughs> <laughs> beat kids. <It's> <laughs> Oh my god! Anyway, so I feel like this. Is I, stole, I totally stole that joke. There was a show called <laughs> Acceptable TV. It had uh, some some sort of low rent, not quite uh, 
you know, whatever the Chicago troop is called. What's the Chicago troop called? Uh, Second City. Second, Second City, City yeah. or yeah. or what's the friggin' one that made that horrible uh, those horrible movies where they go to camp? Oh yeah, yeah, state, yeah. The state, yeah, the, the state, state. Yeah, yeah. Like, even below that. Well, well, you know, you know, if they had just registered in a database, it was government run, and they could have gotten there. there you go. <laughs> there the, the point is, um, I couldn't look that up in a government database uh, or my mind. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what you operates like a database. What but, uh, we were saying, but previously, uh, reminded me of it. It's all about transparency, Sam. <laughs> it's all about transparency. So, yeah, let me like, tell you about transparency. But I feel like this is the kind of record that if you're like. A younger person getting into like this kind of like soul music thing, yeah. like, and it's funny because Brianna just wrote this piece for Pitchfork today about black people who don't want to be classified. But in my mind, I'm an older person. As what she black is, people? As 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 soul and R&B artists. I didn't artists. know she wrote oh. that, but that's interesting because I, I responded to Moses. We we published. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday. We published. Like if, they, if they if they um if they take on trappings of those genres. Right, they right, don't right, want right. to be yeah. like, we, we yeah. just reviewed, we just reviewed the new Moses Sumner album. Moses is interviewed by Brianna in that piece. And, yeah. and so Moses like put out this tweet last night. Wow, that's fascinating. Tell me more. Yeah, so he put out this tweet last night, and he's basically like, why are people calling this soul music? That seems like pretty like race-oriented. Why are people calling it, R&B? Like, but is it just because I'm black? And it's God, like, and it's it not. And I was so okay. So that that made me. And it was just in funny. listening to our discussion, I actually think we we covered that without knowing that I was a question. Because okay, so this that's one of the things that was in my head when we were getting ready to do this discussion. Was like it makes me livid because it shows like a lack of awareness of like the history of where this comes from, mm-hmm. and like being called a soul artist is not this negative pejorative term where you're like, oh god. I'm black and I'm like soul music. No, it's, like, it's no. Sturgill Simpson saying, "Who the fuck is Sturgill Simpson?" While he accepts his Grammy, right? It's soul soul music in in that era, in like the seven, late seventies, early eighties era, was this beautiful thing to me that encapsulated so many genres and so many people. Yeah, of all I don't think colors. Curtis Mayfield was thinking about being like, "Am I a black soul artist?" He was like. I'm going full music yeah. all the way. <laughs> right, of course, right. That was the thing. It's like, and I just want to like, it, it like made me really mad. Like, so when I read yeah. Brianna thing, and I love Bree's writing and she's a phenomenal writer, but it made me angry because I'm like, I'm too, I can't say anything because that makes me the old man. No, you can't, you can't, should, because I mean, the point of it is, it's a discussion. I, I was hoping that Moses responded. I tweeted at him and said, Hey, we we done this. We talked about this. Marcus Dowling and Marcus Moore talked about this, and yeah. I we would love to talk. Sit down. It's, he's not coming to see, but he's coming to Philly. I think those discussions are important, and I think just like uh, what we were talking about, uh, what he's doing, carrying this like older art form into mm-hmm. the thing. It's right. like classifying stuff. And, it's okay uh, as long people. I don't know where the line is. What okay, I'm saying. So my in my mind, it's like, okay. So like. People would have it's given. It's scary. Their, I don't think anybody right. does. No. People would have given their firstborn to be called a soul artist forty-five years ago. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Now people are running from it like it's the plague, and I'm like vastly confused. I'm just like, I mean, I get it because like people want identity, and identity is such a thing right now, and people want to be unique, and I get that. But it's like there's a beauty in being a soul artist because it used to be a time where you could be a soul artist and you could be like. Isaac Hayes. Mm-hmm. Listen, there was, listen there was a, there was a circuit, there was a community, there was everything built around that. And I can understand why like somebody might perceive that as limiting because they don't have access to any of those 
elements that comprise the original meaning. Right. And, you know, like I'm, I'm sure that the, the, the sort of economic assault on African-Americans within the structures of not only the music industry, but, you know, the broader economy are, is just so tremendous that we don't even have, have time to itemize that. But the positive associations within that, the Chitlin circuit, the, mm-hmm. the 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 community that was represented in rhythm and the original rhythm like, and blues. Like look at what David Bowie did to become a soul artist. He Everything. invented an entire he, humanity. He sacrificed one of his identities yes. on yeah. an altar in a ritual, right. In order to become yeah. a, soul a soul artist, artist. like that. And that was the thing. It was like I want to be a soul artist. I hope that I can do this well. I, now I mean, the thing about that though is think about now in the context and think about a powerful black artist or whatever somebody even like work just working in the idiom I don't care what color you are taking aspects of what is powerful about human expression with rhythm and it meets this sort of expansive multifaceted uh, fractal polyglot information opportunity right and you don't want to necessarily be defined by something that you didn't participate in no matter how much you love honor and respect it you weren't on the chitlin circuit right you know you weren't at muscle shoals no, i agree well, and, and that's what and that's what i think back to the original point we made is like michael mcdonald is like the one white dude so i i just who, err on the side of liberation you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but mcdonald was the one like white dude who is like he, appropriation is bad we know this but well, that we can underline and fucking put. Yeah, but, yeah. but somehow he... An exclamation point. This is not appropriation. No, not at all. And his career has never been about appropriation. No. And he's one he of the... he earned it. He earned it, and it's one of the few who hasn't been. You know, I think with creativity, with, with, with musical information like that, it doesn't need to be segregated along those lines. Music... Uh, it's a complicated thing, miscegenation in our perception mm-hmm. in social and civic life. And miscegenation mm-hmm. in our perception and entertainment and and emotional uh, and and sort of dream life, you know what I mean? <laughs> like the archetypal. But I feel, areas. but I feel like it's intriguing <laughs> though in the sense that the music has become the medium in yeah. a way now. Like even miscegenation is a loaded term, and the music is the medium now yeah, yeah. because there is no other way to evaluate. Right. It. The filters I, are blown I, apart. I think I think, yeah. I think you're absolutely right on that, but uh, I think that's somewhere in in the future because it. There's undeniably, like, culturally certain things that exist in cultures. Well, that's why identity politics are on the rise. That because is very true. there are no mediating factors in, in, in the middle of monoculture to support, you know. Yeah. And, the, and that's, that's, that's it being used for evil. Cohesion, I would that's say. That's being used for evil. Oh, sure. Like let, me, like, let me say something that I, that I have to say about Donald Trump, and I'll yeah. stop because I don't want to talk about it because it depresses me. Yeah. Although I will also talk about it because I think it's incredibly mm-hmm. important. I think that Donald Trump made a very cynical bet about democracy. And I think that bet was that in a democracy, the majority of people are stupid. Yeah. And particularly looking at what has been done to them through the sort of disuse and assault on public education. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, mm-hmm. or anything that supports access to information that right. isn't, you know, corporate spoon fed, you know. And so mm-hmm. people now believed so fully in the disintermediation myth that the idea that the internet is their liberation from the shackles of mono media, yeah. that a very cynical operator was be able to, was able to turn to monoculture to, 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 to work his gambit, 
which right. is that there's a lot of stupid motherfuckers. Yeah. If I'm able to aggregate their stupidity through, yeah, uh, you know, scapegoating essentially, right. and yeah, I'll be able to absolutely. take it all. Yeah. And it's the oldest play in the book, but you have to be a very canny manipulator of right. of media and to be able to read the weather pattern. So he's a failure at business, but he was an absolute success at this one thing. I'll, I'll, I'll say, and and probably my final point about this is like. The musical monoculture that we're faced with right now, it's funny to see the soul thing rise against this musical monoculture. And it should. And to see, like, so, like, um, I'd imagine if you put, like, Miles Sumney and, like, Aaron Abernathy in the same room, Vincent yeah. Ab again, Ab's very much a soul artist, like, steeped in the tradition, up, down, left, right, yeah, you know, yeah. front and center. And then you have somebody over here who's, like, dabbling in it, but in a way where it's like so tied and there's, and there's 15 years of age difference for these two people as well, mm. where it's like, he's dabbling in a thing like this Moses, so many things dabbling in a thing that so that he's politically not wanting to associate with right. because of negative stigma attached to the sociopolitical nature of everything. Maybe. I mean, has he explained that or not, though? Because But, that, but it, I think it's inherent when you're like, I do not wish to be classified as a soul artist, but I'm black. I don't know. I, I, I think that it might not be. Like, I would, I would, I would weird... offer, like, that you might want to just imagine a different perspective there. Like, keep that one. It could be true. Yeah. But, but try, try right. on another one. I will, for sure. Well, but that's it's... actually why I want to talk to him. I mean, yeah, uh, and, I and explore sure. this. Yeah, figure out what it will Figuring out, figuring out the, the root answer of that is figuring out a lot about because then, how we get better. Yeah, because then I mean, to tie in this McDonald record and his importance in the soul tradition is intriguing in a sense where, like, Michael McDonald was an outlier until the point where he became the thing. Like, it's like he was like an outlier, like, you know, like Steely Dan. Well, identity for, wasn't, this is why this is so right. interesting. Michael McDonald is, is an, is an invisible man. And, and, you know, as an artist, we've already sort of in this conversation, at least I, I asserted it. I don't know if it's determined, but like, you know, this is a guy who didn't just like rush out and say like, I have an artistic statement to make. Right. He's a musician. So identity wasn't really important to him, but the economics of the old industry supported that mm -hmm. type of non-identity. Yeah. He's good enough, and you know he's going to move some the units, old. and people know him as the voice of the Doobie Brothers, and they've heard him everywhere. Yeah, and so that, theory. that allows it, uh, you know, to happen. He has established a market, and the investors back it. That's you know that he yeah, yeah. He, he won a certain talent lottery, and he, and he was good at good at right. delivering the product that they wanted to set to mm -hmm. to. Uh, put into the marketplace but i don't really know that that there's a lot of artistic drive behind that other than the fact that he has an he has an area that he likes to work as a musician and delivers a lot of value to it yeah you know like when we talk about soul i think about the an extra quality another dynamic michael mcdonald brings a superior sonic quality to the recordings that he's on but i think that's different I don't know that I feel the same way about a single Michael McDonald song that I've ever heard in my life that I would about an Otis Redding song, for example. Yeah, that's yeah. I feel like that's different sides of the same coin, though. Like there's like an or there's like there's like this. God, it's gonna sound how it sounds, but it's the truth. It's like an inorganic, organic soul. 
that yeah, but the, the inorganic aspect could, isn't a barrier to me because I no, do have not, I'm not David Bowie songs, for example, right. where I'm yeah, not very emotionally similar to Otis Ray. I'm not saying it's a barrier. I'm saying that it is what it is. That's just kind of like the nature of what it is because of the nature of race and the nature of culture at that time when that song came out and it was, you know, in sure, yeah. the, the cultural conversation as compared to like, you know, an Otis Redding song, which is totally organic and wholly I'm also Otis Redding has received wisdom to me and David Bowie is only not barely. Yeah. Right. This is true. And Michael McDonald, I mean, like, you know, Kevin and I are old people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're ancient hey, men. he's almost old. I'm We're almost ancient old. men. Marcus almost is old. almost old. You're almost in the club, brother. You're chasing. My brother, I know. I got like six months left. <laughs> yep. Uh, and, and so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, kids these days, that's why I'm so interested in hearing like what a response, oh, no, honest you'll, response you'll, would be to this you'll, album. You'll know immediately. Like the kids these days wouldn't like inherently relate to those very same fundamental aspects that are baked into the cake here that yep. Kevin was talking about. At the top of the show, you know, you just don't hear those elements, those signifiers, those arrangements of contemporary music. Right. Whether or not they would even be recognizable, say nothing of enjoyable, you know. And and so I go back to that other thing. It's like, yeah, 1971, there's probably a few, like, rock is the dominant medium. Mm-hmm. You know, disco yeah. hasn't come along. Of course. You know, soul music is is humming along, but the majority record buying marketplace is probably buying rock music, right? Of right? course, yeah. And then underneath that, you get cats like Miles that are in this weird, mm-hmm. you know, this crossover thing, and he invents fusion music, right? You know, because Miles just does that stuff; he colors outside the lines, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, you know, there's a subset of that group that's a Venn diagram that, like, you know, you can see them, you could spot them, and say, "There's the overlap." Right. Nowadays, I, I look at that and I'm like. There's not any, oh, there's no, you know, it's right. either like one yeah. thing or it's like a that, million. Like I said, it's that monoculture that we're talking about. Yeah, like, there's, but there's awkward. nothing to really sort of support. The good thing about mono, monoculture in economics, at least, is if there's, if it's not monopoly, uh, is that, you know, it creates the opportunity for symbi- symbiotic enterprise. Right. Right. Yeah. Tiny little sucker fish on the big thing yeah, of thing. Of course. And the big thing of thing here is music and its analog that's, distribution pipe. But, but again, that's why I love this soul thing. And that's why I think that, like, again, if you're, like, into this soul thing that's happening, like, listening to this record is important because the soul thing stands against this monoculture and it's, like, standing and beating and being awesome against, like, this monocultural kind of, like, sludge music that is kind of, like, permeating slurry, everything. The slurry. The slurry. The yeah. slurry, of course. So, so, what does that mean you're going to do with this, Marcus? Um, I'll, I'll, wrap I, it up. I strongly urge everybody, like, try this record yeah. at least once, because it's fun. Yeah. It's still fun. I, I, yeah, I, I'm with you. Especially, uh, I, I can't wait to, uh, I'll, I'll, dude, I'll, I'll run the mics for this, like you talking to kids on the street. I, um, I'll, I'll do it. Because... Beat kids. You didn't hear that. <laughs> if there are kids. any lawyers who represent whatever corporate uh, behemoth kids that, on owns the the, <laughs> that owns the, the intellectual property rights to beat acceptable kids. TV and it's... Check the database, kids. You're... <laughs> check, check the copyright database. I have one thing to say yeah, yeah. about no, this no, that's, uh, I mean, uh, Yeah, we're going to get to you. So, oh, so he, he's, he's going to try to get to me. But, but right. so, 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 yeah. So, so but... Oh, we'll, calm down. It's, it's okay, right? So, so Casey, what, 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 what's your thing about this album? What, 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 what are you gonna? What's your last message? Like, should people buy it? Should they try it? I can keep this really concise. Okay. 
Watch. Ready? Here I go. I think that if people listen to this Michael McDonald record, I encourage them to try to hear it. Period. Okay. <laughs> listen without prejudice. Oh, there. That's I like a good it. one. That's like a good it. one. Yeah, okay. I, I, I'm the same. It, it's a solid try it record, man. It's just like I. I if you're listening to it, like definitely listen to it. Don't listen to it ironically. And if it, it look, if it doesn't catch you, like it doesn't catch you. That's the way it works for any album. I think it will though. And instead of like settling for this, dig back into his entire yeah. catalog. Go back. We're eventually gonna do Go to CVS, man. Just hang out at CVS. <laughs> <laughs> Go beat some kids. <laughs> that's that's basically the biggest. <laughs> <laughs> wow go beat some kids at TBS <laughs> well with that um, we're going to take a quick break when we get back I got, a, I got a nice little track for you to play I guarantee you're going to love thank you uh, Mr. Dowling Mr. Casey Ray thank you hopefully yes, sir. back soon uh, also congratulations on the dadding you're doing good I'm dadding it up cute baby alright we'll be back in a few seconds Not a day goes by that my heart doesn't wonder if it's still worth a trial. One more hell, But you don't really know about such things now, do you? Does the sound of my voice still Michael McDonald's Wide Open is available everywhere you can buy records. I think it's out on the, it might be RTA. I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's a big label because he's, you know, he's a superstar, man. Uh, I really can't, and I, and, and I don't mean this to say that I, I hope he dies because when I said this about David Bowie, um, he died. Um, I really can't wait to see what he does next. Uh, this would be, um, I, uh, granted, I am a little older, but seeing older artists uh, not just do great work, but do work that the same type of work that they've always done. Um, there's a place for all of this in your ears and your hearts, people, and uh, and it sh- should all be celebrated, not just like the young dude on the block or the guy who has the good hair. Um, so go out and check it out. He's out on tour now. He's going to be making a stop in D.C. Uh, we're going to try to talk to him. I don't know if we will end up talking to him, but we're going to try. It's worth it. He's a rad dude. He's had a rad life. Um, before we get out of here this week, uh, I said I was going to introduce you to some new North Country or reintroduce you to the band. That's what I'm going to do. Now, North Country uh, is uh, a a sort of a collective of artists. Andrew Grossman is the core. He is the main man behind all this. Uh, this is his third album. This is In Defense of Cosmic Altruism. And uh, the album two years ago, I believe it was now, it's uh, There's Nothing to Fear, is one of my favorites of the aughts or 2000, whatever. What are we in now? I don't know. Uh, anyways, one of my favorite albums of the past five years, uh, made right here in Washington, D.C., which that's just, that's just a bonus. It's icing on the cake. Um, for this one, he shook up the lineup a little bit, shifted it around, uh, enlisted some of his housemates at Bathtub Republic, which is a sort of an indie DIY venue here, uh, not far from uh, HQ, actually, just down the street, and, uh, and, and went in the studio, and what he came out with was a lush uh, 
expertly and and uh, very complexly orchestrated collection of songs uh, that I I've seen uh, sort of mutate and shift around in like layouts in the album and uh, and what what ended up as the final product is kind of kind of astounding. Uh, it, it is it's a it's a gorgeous statement on our times and and just sort of all sort of wrapped around uh, a very personal statement about relationships i think i'm gonna ask him about it a little later uh but it is uh it's a great album is what i'm saying and you should get it and to help you down that path going out and getting or seeing them on tour i'm gonna play a little track for you right now so this is uh, track four on the album, E Meditation Forever Forever, and it's uh, it's pretty simple, but it'll get stuck in your head, and that's actually the genius of Mr. Grossman. It gets stuck in there, in your head, in your heart, and never leaves. So here you go. E Meditation Forever and Ever off of In Defense of Cosmic Altruism.
meditation forever and ever. Uh, the build of that is gorgeous. That is, um, dare I say it, classic North Country. But uh, I just did. So there, there you go. Congratulations to uh, Andrew and and the whole crew of musicians that that worked on that and got it out in the world. And uh, man, I can't I cannot wait to hear what he's going to be doing in like five years and ten years. This is just this is just the beginning, kids. Just the beginning. That's it for our podcast uh, for this Thursday and our podcast this week. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can leave us a rating or a message there. You can uh, and five stars is great. Five stars is cool, and that helps people know that we exist, folks. Uh, you can listen to us on Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Play. Coming soon to Spotify. If you want to listen to podcasts there, although I don't. I mean, look, it's cool. It's a wider reach, but. Does that, did any of you ever listen to stuff on Spotify, like podcasts on Spotify? If you do, reach out and let me know why. There's so many good podcast apps that you can use. It seems a weird thing. But at, at, at any rate, uh, we're also, if you want to support us directly, we are on Patreon now. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. But essentially what this is, is uh, we've had a team of volunteers now for the past seven years doing this, five years working on the podcast. And uh, aside... Uh, from their time and and the benefit of, of hanging out I and mean, us just having a really fucking good time doing this, uh, they haven't ever been paid. And uh, I've been footing the bill for this whole thing this whole time. And uh, it's, not, it's not bad. You can do it. Uh, but it's also, you know, it's money. Period. Uh, so what we, we decided to do, I think, recently is uh, it's time for some people to get paid. Uh, I want to get the volunteers paid, and then we'll go from there. Uh, so you can do that by supporting us. A gift of like $5 gets your name mentioned in the credits. What's up, Justin Beland? And, uh, you know, if you want to give more, that's great, too. This all goes towards uh, generally beer money <laughs> for when people are over here. But really, it goes towards some equipment upgrades that we might do uh, and, and maybe just getting a little uh, extra cash to people who come by and hang out and talk and, and donate their talents uh, that they that they have developed or came with and uh, and trust me we got a we got a super talented crew and they would greatly appreciate knowing uh, that you love them in the form of money because capitalism um, so that's going on and then coming up in the in the weeks ahead we are fully into Rocktober. Uh, so we're going to do some fun things. I know one thing we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about my favorite album uh, pretty much of all time, Boston's Third Stage. It's important in the uh, time stream, darkest or otherwise. Uh, also going to be doing a, a little little look back at Whitney Houston's career. We're going to be doing uh, Guns N' Roses podcast. That's going to be kind of awesome. And uh, going to be talking about Aaron Abernathy's album uh, with uh, the man himself, Dialogue. If you haven't heard the single, um, go back to podcast now. Listen to it. It's also up on OK Player. Uh, Dialogue is coming. It's out 1016. It is uh, an astounding album. And uh, just get ready for it. We'll tell you more about it in the next few weeks. And that's it. That's our podcast. We're out of here. Um, get out and see some live music, kids. And be good to yours, but be better to your people. We'll, we'll talk to you in a few.
<laughs> <laughs> Kenobi.